Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. So, over the last four weeks, as you will know, we've been doing a series on worship entitled The Worshipping Body. And uh, we had made it clear that it was going to be a four-week course. So don't stone me now as a false prophet, but I've extended it to five weeks. All right. And so I want to wrap it up this morning by looking at why we do what we do on a Sunday. All right, because this is part of our worship. We spoke about a lifestyle of worship that happens 24-7. Everything everything, and anything we do that brings honor and glory to God is worship. But there is something also in terms of the act of worship when we come together as his people. And we've looked at that over the last four weeks. But this morning, I want to be very practical. And in the practicality of what I'm going to be sharing, I'm going to be throwing out a whole lot of different questions Rhetorical, yes, but hopefully to get us to think about what it is we do and why we do it. Good for that? Because I've come to realize the why is as important as the what when it comes to our gathered worship. And so last Sunday, I, I, I did a little bit of a Greek intro for you, and we looked at the word, our English word worship in the New Testament has two Greek words. And the first word is the word proskunio, which speaks of our heart attitude in worship. And the second is the Greek word latriontis, which speaks of our action in worship. And by action, I'm talking about what we do and how we express our worship to God when we're together. And so this morning, I want to focus then on that second word, the action And uh, the action when it comes to communal worship, and I want to do that by looking at the different aspects to what we do here on a Sunday. And again, it's not just the what we do, but why we do it, and to see how important it is and how biblical it is in terms of what we're doing. Because if it's not important, then it's not biblical, and if it's not biblical, we don't want to do it. Amen? All right. So... There's a story that goes of a, of a mother that every Sunday lunchtime she would roast a chicken at home. Sunday lunch chicken. And eventually after a number of years her daughter began to notice that every time mum was about was to put the chicken into the oven she would cut the top part of the chicken off and then put the, the, the chicken in the oven, cook it and they would eat dinner. And eventually she said to her mum, what's the deal here? How come every time we have roast chicken, you cut the top of the chicken off before putting it in the oven? So the mother paused for a moment and thought, well, hmm, actually a good question. I've never thought about that. I've always just done it. Well, why have you always just done it? Because I've always seen my mother do it. That's how I grew up. So, we, so the little girl said, well, when Nana comes next weekend, can we ask her what the reason for this cutting off the top of the chicken? So of course she said, yeah, it's a good idea. So Nana arrived the following weekend, and both of them sat there eager to hear why it is that Nana used to cut the top of the chicken off. And she said, well, that's very easy and very simple. Our oven was so small that in order to get the chicken in, we had to cut the top of the chicken off. And so I think the point is clear, hey, is that sometimes we do things just because it's always been done like that without ever thinking about the reason we do those things. And that's what we want to tackle this morning. All right, and so let's start at the beginning of our Sunday meeting. In fact, even before we arrive here. 
And so the first thing I want to say, and I've got a number of points and we'll see how we go. But the first thing when it comes to our gathered worship, the what and the why is this thing called preparation. And so in other words, it's us preparing our hearts and waiting on God even before we get here. And you might say to me, well, why is that important? Why can't I just pitch? Well, the truth is we are coming into the presence of the king of all kings. And let me say that requires, in fact, that demands preparation. Why? Because we can't just come in casually, sloppily, indifferently into his presence. Not at all. Or coming with sleep still in our eyes. eh? No, the head of the church is worthy of our best. And secondly, his body demands our best. In that we should arrive here prepared, prayed up, and ready to be a blessing to the rest of Christ's body. And so I want to ask you this morning, how might God want to use you to minister to others? And how prepared are you for that? Because the truth is we need to prepare our hearts to give just as much as we need to be open and prepared to receive when we gather together on a Sunday. Secondly, is a thing we call our pre-service prayer that happens. You might arrive here, if you come a little early, you may see folk either gathered in that room or in one of the corners, kind of move it around a little bit. But you might say, well, what's the purpose of that? Well, again, we see it very, it is in scripture. In Acts 2.42, we see how the early church devoted themselves to prayer, both private prayer as well as public prayer. But if we had to see why this is important, I want to say for me, it's the starting blocks for our worship service. It's where we collectively find the rhythm and the heartbeat of what God is wanting to do here on a Sunday morning. And so in many respects, it's what allows us to start the service with a bang rather than taking 15 minutes to warm up to know what God is on about and what he's wanting to do. But here's the thing, when we gather as, as, as a church for pre-service prayer, it demonstrates our absolute reliance on God for what God wants to do here. Knowing that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Eh? We can do nothing. But it also shows God our absolute need for, for Him to presence Himself in the meeting. Much like Moses said, unless your presence is with us, don't send us out from here. And there's a sense when we pray, we're saying, God, unless your presence goes with us, we don't want to enter into this hall. Why? Because we know we cannot do it without you. And so our pre-service prayer acknowledges then that without him and without his presence and without his power at work, we'll never be able to achieve anything of any eternal value or significance. eh? And let me again say to you and remind you that everyone is invited to pre-service prayer, eh? It's the starting point in many ways, besides the preparation for what God wants to do here on a Sunday. All right. Then we get the call of worship. You would have heard the call. Nathaniel brought the call. Dan contributed to the call. But it's a call from Scripture to ready ourselves to enter into God's presence. And so what it is, is that we are being summoned into the service and the worship of God. That's what that call is about. And so in many respects, we're leaving ordinary time and ascending in the presence of saints and holy angels to the heavenly Jerusalem. 
That's what this call is about. And you might say, well, that's, that's cool, but why is it that important for you individually and for me? Well, the simple reason is, this is a great opportunity, it's a chance for us to recalibrate our hearts again towards Jesus. It's an opportunity where we get to focus our attention again on the one whom this is all about on a Sunday. And equally, it's an opportunity for us to throw off everything that hinders all the distractions of the last week, and we're to get rid of the sin that we know so easily entangles us. Why? So that we can run into God's presence to worship him. That's what this call of worship does. It's got meaning. It's got significance. It's an opportunity to recalibrate our hearts to again put Jesus on the throne in our own lives. eh? Amen. Next one is a thing called singing. We do that in the, in, on a Sunday morning, hey? And we come singing our songs of praise. And the wonderful thing about this is that when we are all singing, we are all confessing the same truth at the same time and hopefully in the same note, hey? Which in itself is a powerful antidote to the individualistic culture in which we find ourselves in when we're able to do this together. In fact, there's something powerful when we do it together. When we're able to sing with one heart, with one voice, in one accord. Why? Because it's there that God commands his blessing. Psalm 133. And so singing songs of praise and of thanksgiving and even songs of warfare, let me tell you, is at the heart of scripture. Both as a command and as a response to God. In fact, the first reference to singing in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15, when Israel had just witnessed God pouring his wrath on Egypt. And the last reference to singing in scripture is at the end of the book of Revelation with so much in between. eh? This is biblical. In fact, our singing on earth in many ways gives us a foretaste of what the atmosphere in heaven is going to be like. And to see that it's good to go to the book of Revelation, where you see what is happening in heaven. And I'll just pull out one passage here in in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 through to to 13, tells us how the 24 elders fell, fell down before the Lamb and sang a new song. A bit further on, we see how multitudes of, multitude of angels encircled the throne and sang in a loud voice. But further on, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea singing to God. And you can see what they sung about if you keep reading that. But here's the wonder, the beauty of New Testament worship is us being able to enter into the very presence of God and be able to join our voices with those who are already worshiping in heaven. What a, what a reality. What an amazing truth eh? that we can come and add our voice to the multitudes that are worshiping already. And so singing is what we'll be doing forever, for all of eternity. And so I guess it's best we get used to it and maybe even good at it <laughs> because that's what we're going to be doing forever and ever. Eh? So how should we sing? How should we praise God? 
Well, the singing that we see in Scripture is anything but limp, listless, or lethargic. If anything, it's loud. It's wholehearted. It's full-throated. It's singing that is full of zeal and passion and fervor because of the one who we're singing to and singing about. eh? Why should we sing? Well, it's a way. Not the only way, but it certainly is a way of us expressing our love, our thanks, and our appreciation to him who we are singing to. It's one of the ways. And it's a way that can demand our best as we sing to God. And so we sing also because God takes great delight in it. eh? In fact, so much so that he in turn rejoices over us with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us. What should accompany our singing? Well, our vocal cords. Because besides singing and singing loudly, it could include things like shouting, confessing, declaring, testifying, thanking, whatever else it might be. In other words, using our voice. Also, it includes our actions. Things like raising our hands is allowed in church. Clapping your hands is encouraged in scripture. Dancing before the Lord is the example of scripture. Lying prostrate before the Lord is equally okay. Kneeling before him, very biblical. All of those things, friends, are found in scripture. God encourages them. What else should accompany our singing? Music and musical instruments. And we're so grateful for our musicians every Sunday. Psalm 149.3 says, let them praise, that's us, let them praise his name and make music to him with tambourine and harp. And maybe in our day it's more guitar and keyboard and bass and drums and a whole variety of other things. But the principle is the same. God loves music. And he, he loves it when we're able to sing with music. We don't always have to have music. Some churches don't have music. But it doesn't stop them praising him. But oh, what a joy when we do have music and we have musical instruments so we can sing our best, wholehearted, full-throated to God who is our king. Eh? All right. How are we doing? Just giving us a summary, a, a survey in many ways of what happens here and why it happens on a Sunday. The next one is about making room for the Holy Spirit. Because as much as we are about glorifying and ministering to God in our worship, here's the thing, God wants to minister to us in and through the worship. Which means then it's important that we give him time and space to minister. Whether it's for him to speak to us, to strengthen our faith, to encourage our hearts, to refresh our spirits or whatever else it may be. We've got to give God opportunity to do that. And yes, sometimes that'll be personal. God will be doing that, ministering to you, just between you and him. And sometimes it will be through others who will grab hold of the mic and will be able to to share something um, public with us to help us do that. But here's the thing. It's easier, let's face it, to stick to the program and to the liturgy rather than going where the Holy Spirit is blowing. Would you agree? Because at times that's risky. At times that is stepping out. It's going into uncharted territory. But here's the thing. Where risk is removed, 
all that is left is routine. And I think God gets bored with routine. Eh? We've got to risk a little bit eh? and allow the Holy Spirit to come and have his way and do what he wants to do here on a Sunday. Now, of course, one of the ways that God ministers to us is through his people using spiritual gifts. Gifts to edify, to strengthen, and to encourage the church. And that's throughout scripture. We see it particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Which is why God wants us to minister to each other. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. And that ministry may come in the form of an encouragement, a tongue, an interpretation of that tongue, a prophecy, a word of knowledge, or any of the other gifts that we see in Scripture. But God wants to use his people to do that. And so my point is simply this. We need to give the Holy Spirit room to move. And then equally, we need to be available so that we can be used by God as he would want to use us. eh? Amen. All right. Next one. What about cultivating or creating a culture of testimonies? And we saw some of that this morning. And if we don't want to. We can call them testimonies or praise reports. Both work. eh? But testifying to what God is doing in your life, again, let me say, is very biblical. I just pulled out one passage. There are many. Psalm 40, 9 and 10, where the psalmist says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly or in the congregation. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I wonder how many times I've been guilty of sealing my lips. When God actually wants me to speak. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Let that not just be a reminder of how good it is to testify. But let it be a challenge to every one of us. eh? And so what do testimonies do? Well, first and foremost, they need to bring glory to God. If it doesn't bring glory to God, it's not a testimony. It's just a story. Secondly, they get us to remember and to appreciate all that God has done and is doing. Thirdly, they strengthen our faith as we speak them and the faith of those who listen to it. As well as, fourthly, it's a weapon to overcome the power of the enemy. Revelation 12.11 says, They... That's the believers overcame him, the devil, how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Testimonies are powerful. The next thing, how are you doing? We doing all right? Okay. We'll see how far we get you. Tithes and offerings. You heard Nate putting out a, a reminder that there is a box at the back there, but also thanking God for the giving. Of, of his people. And so tithes and, and offerings is very much a part of our worship, even though most of us don't bring it with us here on a Sunday. Few questions to ask around this. Why should we give? Why should we give? Well, because we want to honor God in our giving and we want to be obedient to his word. 
to bring the whole tithe, not a part of the tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse, into the place where you're spiritually fed, understanding that the tithe is holy and belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And so it's us giving back to God. Yes, as an act of our worship, but also as an act of gratitude for all that God has given us, what he has blessed us with, how he's been just so faithful in every way to us. And of course, on a practical note, your faithful giving is what resources this church to do what God has called it to do. Without your giving, we'd never be able to do that. And so stop giving or choosing not to give. And you know what happens? The advancing of God's kingdom gets severely handicapped. And that dishonors God. Huh? What should we give? Well, the first tenth of our income we give as a tithe to God, followed by free will offerings as the Lord leads us. So that's what the Bible talks about, tithes and offerings. And then, of course, there's almsgiving, giving to the poor. There's apostolic giving, like we're giving into Liam and Alana so they can go into the nations. And then, of course, there's just general giving. When should we give? We give when we receive income, which means then it should be regularly and consistently, not occasionally, not when our budget says we can give or when our budget says we can't give. No. We give it in accordance to God's word. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Set aside your tithe, your offerings in accordance with your income, and you bring it to the storehouse. How should we give? Generously. Yes, privately between you and God, but never reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. All right. Still okay? Next one. Sacraments or ordinances. I'm sure they'll be okay out there. What are the two ordinances we, we see in Scripture? Breaking of bread. And baptisms. So now time doesn't allow me to go into too much detail, but I think it's important we talk into these because you're regularly seeing them happen. Breaking of bread here in our meeting place, I'm sure in other places as well, whether it's the life groups or other events. And of course, we saw baptisms last Sunday. And so let's look at these in turn. Firstly, breaking of bread. Who should partake in it? Only believers. Because the Lord's Supper is a participation in Christ. And so if you don't belong to Christ, you can't partake of his body, the bread, nor can you partake of his blood, the cup. In fact, if you want to read that, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 to 22, clearly outlines that. Why do we do it? Well, Jesus clearly told us to do it and to do it in remembrance of him. Luke 22 verse 19. Not only did Jesus tell us to do it, but the early church modeled it in that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And then, of course, Paul affirmed it by saying, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
1 Corinthians 11.26. Now notice we're not told how often we're to do it, just that we are to do it. Eh? Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. And so in doing it, we are identifying both with the head, Jesus, Christ, as well as with his body, the church. And so it's an identification. How do we do it? Glad you asked the question. Well, according to 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us there's some ways that we shouldn't do it. Like, we shouldn't take it lightly, thoughtlessly, carelessly. In other words, without due preparation. Nor should we do it somberly. Why? Because it should be a joyful celebration when we take the bread and the wine. Why is it so important? It's a visible reminder of Christ's death and the glorious hope of his return every time we do it. Secondly, it's us proclaiming what his sacrifice did for us, the forgiveness of sins. And then thirdly, every time we take it, it's us renewing our commitment to serve Jesus and to follow him with everything we have. The second ordinance is baptism. And again, it's something we do in obedience to God's word. Acts 2.38 clearly says, repent and then be baptized. Greek word, baptizo, meaning immerse, immersion. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now let me just remind you, baptism doesn't save you. Faith in Christ alone saves you. But baptism seals your faith. It confirms your faith. In many ways, it's an external picture of an internal rebirth. And it's done publicly as an outward confession of your private commitment. When those folk got water baptized last Sunday morning, 11 of them, in a sense, they were nailing their colors to the mast and saying, I live for Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm making it public that I belong to him. And I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. And so it identifies us like the breaking of bread. It identifies us with Christ and his death, his burial and his resurrection. In that we died with Christ. We died to sin. We were buried with Christ, buried the old life. And we have risen up with Christ as new creations and new creatures in Christ. All of those things powerfully enacted in baptism. And then, of course, it identifies us not just with Christ, but also with Christ's body, the church. Next one. Told you we're going through these quickly, but I wanted to give an overview of not only what we do, but why we do it. eh? All right? Listen, this one will surprise you. I don't think you're expecting this one. Announcements. Vision items. Might say, what's the purpose of that? Because I switch off when that happens. Not me. I'm talking about you. eh? (laughs) Let's face it. Let's be honest. Many switch off when it's announcements. eh? Well, the reason we do announcements and we do it as forthrightly and as publicly as we can is because God wants all of us involved, working together and walking and moving in the same direction. And you know what? It's our vision announcements that get us on the same page. Why? So that we can do and fulfill what God has called us as a church to do and to fulfill. 
And that's why it's not just to a select group. These announcements are for everyone. Why? Because we're all going in the same direction. We all need to be on board. We all need to have our hand to the plow, our shoulder to the wheel, and say, I'm in. You can count on me. I'm going to be part of the solution here. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to add value. And our announcements allow for all of us to say amen to that. Amen? Children's ministry. Beautiful. They're not here to hear it, but you as parents are here, hopefully, to hear it. Children's ministry is, a, is about us investing spiritually into the lives of our children in a way and at a level and in an environment that is most beneficial for them. And let me just remind you, parents, it cannot be the only biblical instruction that they are receiving. Rather, it needs to complement what is already being taught and imparted in your homes. Eh? And the folk up there are doing an amazing job with the children. Nurturing, teaching, discipling, training. But it's not them and us. It's both working together. Eh? All right. Next one, preaching of God's word. Again, we see how the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, to the preaching of God's word. And so when it comes to the preaching of God's word, can I say it's got to be preached authoritatively, accurately, and forthrightly. In that it is declarative, not suggestive. It's proclamational, not conversational. So if that's true, then well, why is it that, why should it then be held in such high regard? Well, it's the charge that Paul gave to Timothy when he said, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, yes, with the word. With great patience and careful instruction. And here's why. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 and 4. And you know what? Preaching the full counsel of God's word, not a part of it, not the parts we like, not the parts that are comfortable or convenient. No, but preaching the full counsel of God's word is what will help us avoid things like myths and false doctrines and half-truths and everything else that Paul speaks against. God wants us to know the truths of the faith. How? He says to Timothy, by the, by the good teaching you have followed. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6. And you know, to follow good teaching, we need to hear it, we need to understand it, we need to apply it, and mostly we need to be obedient to it. Eh? We need to obey it. And that's why I think there should always be a response to the preaching of God's word. Whether it's a private response, you responding to God on your own, or whether it's a public response, where there is a call made out for people to actually come and visibly declare their response to God. Preaching, let me tell you, preaching of God's word is not food for thought. Eh? <laughs> it's not food for thought. It's bread for action. It's not pie in the sky. It's got to be meat on the plate. 
meat that we digest and meat that we do something with. Eh? I'm always amazed how many people, I know it's always with the right heart and good intention, where they'll say to me, yeah, that was so good. That's food for thought. And I say, oh, please don't let it just be food, food for thought. Let it be, go and apply it. Go and live it out. Be obedient to what God's saying. Coming to an end. The benediction. What is that about? Well, it's a Greek word. Beni is good. Diction is words. In other words, words of blessing that get pronounced over the congregation. And so in many respects, it's where the church is commissioned at the end of our service, commissioned to go and be the church wherever we find ourselves. That's the commission. That's the blessing that gets spoken over us as a church. And I'm sure Nate will come and do that shortly. And then the last thing I want to say is fellowship. The early church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Why? Because they knew that they could not work out their salvation on their own. They needed others around them and others involved in their lives. You know, we've never been called to a private faith, eh? Never. But rather to a faith that is lived out relationally and in community. Because at the end of the day, that's how we grow. That's how we mature. And that's how we're able to lay hold of everything that God has called us to. No person is an island. We need each other. If one puts a thousand to flight and two puts ten thousand to flight... Can you imagine what will happen when all of us are on board, going in the same direction, taking hold of what God is doing because of the fellowship we have one with another? And yes, I know fellowship is more than just having a coffee and a yarn on a Sunday. But we've got to start somewhere. Huh? And then hopefully we're going to grow from there and develop the sense of kinonia that takes place, this bonding, this connecting, this working together so we can take hold of what God has called us to and so I feel like I've really rushed it but I wanted to get in as much as possible of what it is that we do as the worshipping body but also why do we do it why do we do it do we just do it because mum always cut the top of the chicken off and put it in the oven or do we do it because actually we see it in scripture we see the biblical premise for what it is that we do we want to be obedient to God's word. And yes, we have the pattern of scripture. Yes, we have church history. But we also have the Holy Spirit who's continually allowing us and helping us to worship in the way that God wants us to worship. All right. So yes, it's the what and the why. Remembering that the why is as important as the what. And so now I'm going to do something that I said we need to do after the preaching of God's word. And that is call for a response. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to hand over to Nate to do the benediction and close for us. So Father, I know I've, I've said lots here this morning. But I do know, Lord, that you've even now have put your finger on certain aspects of what I've said. With just a gentle nudging of your Holy Spirit. Maybe for some it's even more of a gentle nudging. Maybe it's, a, it's like you've put your finger 
firmly on an issue of, of our lives that we need to make an adjustment in, that we need to address, that we need to change, that maybe we need to implement. Whatever that might be, Lord, from our preparation before we get here to the call of worship, to our singing, to giving of our tithes and our offerings, breaking of bread, baptisms. Let me not re-preach the preach. But Father, whatever it is that you would challenge us with this morning, Lord, we want to respond to you. And I'm not going to call for a public response. That may happen on other occasions. But I'm asking you, between you and God, to do an honest and a private response and say, Lord, I want to make this adjustment. Lord, I've seen the importance and the value of this thing. Now I'm going to ask, Lord, that you would help me to make a change. You would help me to implement this. You would help me to step out and be available to be used in this way, whatever it might be. Father, we do thank you for the way that you meet with us here on a Sunday morning, as I know you meet with us in many other occasions and places. But we want to say thank you for this incredible privilege and opportunity we have of gathering together as your people to come and to honor you, to learn from you, to speak to you, to minister to you, to hear your voice, to minister to each other, to obey your word, whatever it may be. Father, we want to say thank you that we have the freedom to do this. Thank you that we have the space to do this. Thank you that we have people to do it with. Thank you for the village church, for all of those whom you have added to this church, because, Lord, you have a great purpose, yes, for their lives, for their families, but also because of them, what you have for us as the village church and what you've called us to. And I want to say thank you for all of that. And so even this morning, as we've looked at all of these different aspects, Father, we ask that we would continue to grow in each one of them, that we would continue to go on in you because of them, that you would keep growing our expression of corporate worship as we keep you at the center and at the head of our gathering. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.